Well, thank you to our youth for leading us in worship this morning. Thank you for selecting those songs and for all of you uh, joining in as we worship and celebrate our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's worthy, always worthy of our praise. Well, we come this morning uh, to uh, 1 Peter once again. So I invite you to turn, please, uh, to our scripture passage, which is 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, verses seven, uh, 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Um, the passage uh, reads as follows. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here. In reverent fear. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Peter, again, in this letter, is writing to believers with the emphasis in this first section in this letter on salvation in Jesus Christ. As we've seen in verse 3, it is the foundation of their living hope. Uh, we've also noted in the first section, the first 12 verses, that it is a salvation planned and foretold by God's prophets and is recorded in the Old Testament. And they're there for our benefit and for our blessing. Uh, and this salvation was accomplished by Christ and by Him alone. And salvation is found only in Him. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, this results in a new nature being given to believers uh, when they are saved. This new nature uh, produces in the believer a new behavior, a new way of living with a new dynamic, the power of the Holy Spirit. The believer also has a new future, which is a hope which is fully realized when Jesus Christ is revealed and when he returns. So, because you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and are trusting him alone, Peter says, therefore, therefore, in light of all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ to provide you with a salvation which he planned and which Christ accomplished, Peter then turns his attention in verse 13 to now what is that to do in terms of the believer and how is it to the impact the believer. So he says here in verse 13, therefore. Therefore, verse 13, we saw last week that we are to set, we are to fix our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, that means that, that for you and I, our hope is not found in anything that is in this present world, meaning 
the things that we can do or we can accomplish. Hope is truly found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and it will be fully realized and God's grace will be shed abroad and fully realized even in us as believing people when Jesus Christ returns. And so salvation in Jesus Christ, as Peter says, ought to impact our thinking. Uh, when, we're, when, we're, when we're trusting Christ, we're to have minds that are prepared and minds that are sober. In other words, we are to engage our minds as believing people. Faith in Jesus Christ is not shifting your brain in neutral and just sort of living in this sort of ethereal sense of faith. Uh, you are to engage your minds with the Word of God, with the teaching of God's Word, and to come to understanding and knowledge and application of that Word as God guides and directs you. And so, uh, with prepared minds uh, and sober minds, clear and engaged, we focus on Him, and in particular, uh, with His second coming. You see, hope looks forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And let me just say at the, the beginning of this uh, at the outset, how much thought do you give to Jesus Christ and His return? How much have you thought about the return of Christ even this past week? Is the return of Jesus Christ your blessed hope? Are you looking forward to His coming? As God's people, we should be doing that. We should always keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus who will return and, and ransom us from the corruption that is still left in this world to bring in the fullness of our salvation that includes our resurrection and our glorification. Jesus Christ and our salvation in Him requires that our minds are engaged. But also having our minds engaged also means that the, the, the thinking of the Christian should impact how we live. You've probably heard the old statement and the old adage that if you sow a thought, you, you reap an action. Uh, what you think about is going to come out in your actions and in your behaviors. And, and Christ uh, is our salvation, and, and our salvation in Christ is a transforming work. And a transformed life flows uh, out of that relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's a total transformation uh, by a mind that is focused on the Lord uh, and on His Word. So in this section, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 13, 2 through 4, there's five main commands that Peter gives the believer. And there's three in the text that we read today. We saw one last week, that we are to uh, fix our minds and our hope uh, on the grace of Christ when he returns. But the second command that you see with me is in verse 15. So be holy in all you do. Not only is our mind to be engaged, but our actions are to also be engaged in following Christ. And we're going to talk about that uh, phrase, be holy, here in a few moments. But notice how Peter prefaces this command. He says, as obedient children. As obedient children. Literally, that uh, statement, obedient children, could be translated as children of obedience. As children of obedience. And obedience is descriptive of a true child of God. An obedient life to God. The opposite is, is uh, true uh, of those who are unbelievers. The lost. Where 
Paul calls them in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 that they are children of disobedience who do not follow God in His ways. Jesus is said to, to us as well that obedience to Him and His teaching demonstrates who is a true believer. Let me have you turn, please, uh, back. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter. Turn to the Gospel of John for a moment. The Gospel of John. And notice these words of Jesus at verse 31. Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 31, To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, Note this, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see how Jesus equates knowing Him and following Him with an obedient heart and life? And when, when you follow Christ in faith, and out of that grows your obedience to Him, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth transforms you. Jesus Christ transforms you. Let me have you turn over a couple of pages in the Gospel of John to chapter 14. Chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus is even more specific, more clear when he says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. You want to know if you truly love God and love his son Jesus Christ? Are you obedient to what he commands you to do? Jesus said in verse 21 of that same chapter, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Look what he says also in verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him, our abode with him. Now Jesus is not saying to us, by the way, that being obedient results in our salvation. But he did indicate that if we are truly trusting him as our Savior and as our Lord, one of the outgrowths of that will be an obedient life uh, to his teaching and, and to his word. And he even indicates that it results in our, our relationship with the Father even being enhanced, where God comes and makes a dwelling with us in a special way making himself known to him. Now notice back in 1 Peter with me for a moment. Peter says here uh, that you'll recall in chapter 1 and verse 2 that we are saved, verse 2, by God to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So he's not introducing a new concept here. He said right at the outset that salvation in Jesus Christ will produce within those who are believing a lifestyle, a characteristic of being obedient, being children of, children of obedience. So he says here, verse 14, as children of obedience, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in your ignorance. Notice that. He says here, how is that to come to pass? Don't conform to the evil desires you had. This command is for the believer to live out of the new nature God has placed uh, within us. Let me have you turn for a moment to Ephesians. Ephesians with me, chapter 4. 
One of the things that you will realize if you haven't discovered this already as a follower of Christ is that you have two natures. You have the old nature, which only desires to sin and please self, but God has given you a new nature that actually reflects the person of Jesus Christ. And notice how Paul in this section describes this relationship that the believer is to have with the Lord and these, these natures that are there. Look with me, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verse uh, 22. And he's writing in this context, by the way, Paul is writing to believers. He says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Some translations say the old man. That's our old nature which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts. See, the only thing that can come out of our old nature is, is sin. Uh, but we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Isn't that interesting that he brings up this use of our minds? And to be put on the new self, notice this, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now when Paul says here that we have this new nature and we're to put it on, he's saying we're to live out of that new nature. And notice the phrase that he uses. It was created to be like God, according to God. That doesn't mean that we become God, but that we reflect God in His holiness and in His character. So as believers, we do have those two natures. Uh, question is, which one are we obedient to? Uh, are we obedient to the new life Christ has placed within us? Or are we obedient to those desires that come to us naturally? You know, sometimes I, when I pray, uh, I, and, and maybe this is uh, in, in, light, in line with this idea of our natures, I say, Lord, help me to do what doesn't come naturally. Because if I pray just let me do what comes naturally as a human being who's fallen and has a sin nature, I'm going to sin. But when I come to God, I ask God, as Paul says here, put on that new nature. Help me to live out of that new nature that you have given me through Jesus Christ. And so Peter says here, don't conform to the desires you had before you were in Christ. All you knew was disobedience. All you knew was sin. All you knew was unbelief. All you knew was a, 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 a resistance to God and His ways. And notice this. He says, you did that and you lived that way when in your ignorance. The, the unbeliever doesn't know better. Sometimes we expect the unbelieving world to, to, to live like Christians, but they don't know better. All they have is the old nature. And God needs to reveal to them that old nature so that they can realize their desperate need of Christ and turn to Him in faith. So he says here, don't conform. Now, interestingly, that phrase, do not conform, is found here, and it's also found in Romans chapter 12. So keep your finger there. And there's a reason I'm going to have you turn here for a moment. Romans chapter 12. Because Paul says again, believers are to live a particular way. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. 
Everything that he wrote up to this point in Romans, the first 11 chapters, is a declaration and an, and an explanation of the mercy of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying to believers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that you offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. God is saying to you as a believer, have you presented the totality of your person and your being to me as your God and as your Savior and Jesus Christ as your Lord? You can be a believer and you can be living out of your old nature and being disobedient to God. Now God is going to deal with you as you would a child who's misbehaving. He's going to discipline you, Hebrews chapter 12. He's going to want to bring you back into line with his word and with his teaching. But Paul is saying here, and Peter would affirm that, that we are to offer our bodies to God. The total personality of my being, all that I am to God. And that is uh, an act of worship. Sometimes we have the mistaken notion that worship only takes place when we gather here on Sunday morning. But you know that every moment that you live, when you're surrendered to God, you are offering an act of worship to Him in your desire to want to please Him, to be obedient to Him, to serve Him. And notice this. This is the second place in, in the New Testament where this phrase comes up. Do not conform. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And it's an interesting phrase because it is, it is in the passive form, which means don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's the way Phillips translated it. Don't allow the pressures of, of the world, the philosophy of the world, the way that the world lives apart from God and Christ sort of mold you and shape you and sort of mold you into its image. No, allow God to mold you into Christ's image. And how does that happen? He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. How am I going to be transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Your mind has to be informed with the Word of God so that you can understand and I can understand what God expects of me as a follower of Jesus Christ. So if all I'm doing is listening to the media, to the news, to what I can find on the internet, and never spend time in God's Word, those thoughts, those ideas, those perceptions, those worldviews are going to shape me according to a world that is, that is in rebellion towards God. That's why we're in the process of having our minds renewed. That's why we need to spend time daily as God's people in His Word. So that our minds can be transformed. And in that process of our minds being shaped by the Word of God, we are transformed from within by the power of God. So do you see how the Word of God it plays an integral role in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ? Very recently, there was a survey that was done uh, on the state of theology in the United States in particular. And you would be amazed at what we hold as foundational Bible doctrine, the, 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 the small amount of people who actually hold to what the Bible teaches. I trust that that's not true of this congregation. I trust that you are seeking God daily 
Even moment by moment, offering yourself first to him and then coming to his word and saying, Lord, speak to me through your word. Teach me through your word. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to know how to live to please you. Because that should be the heart's cry and the heart's desire of one who has been redeemed by Christ. Because that is the new nature that wants to please God. And one of the indicators that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ is you have that desire to want to please God. If that desire is not there, maybe that's a time to step back and examine yourself and answer the question as Scripture does. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Peter says here to, to believing people, don't live the way you did when you were ignorant apart from Christ when you didn't know better. I want you now to be obedient to God and to His Son Jesus Christ and you do that through knowing God through His Word. And, and uh, the question we ask ourselves here then is who do I listen to? Do I listen to myself? To the world? To my friends? Or do I listen to God and to His Word? This might seem like an odd thing to say, but the Christian is to be a nonconformist. Nonconformity to this world, to the world's philosophy, to the way that the world views things, to the way that the world acts and behaves. Wouldn't you agree that our world is, is behaving in an ungodly manner? We're not to live that way. Why? Because we've been transformed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And, and God has not only given us the command, God has given us the needed resource to live for Him by virtue of our union with Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence uh, of His Holy Spirit. And so, Paul, so Peter says here, as obedient children, don't live as you once did apart from Christ, if I can paraphrase. But then he introduces the command. As obedient children, don't conform. But verse 15 says, but be holy in all you do. See, verse 15 is a, is a contrast. Uh, first he says the negative, don't conform to this world and the pattern of this world, the way the world does things. Now he's going to give us the positive. So what do we replace it with? Look at verse 15. Just as the one or he who called you is holy. Now let's just stop there for a moment because we have to answer the question, what does it mean that God is holy? Because that is who he's referring to. The Bible would clearly indicate to us that God is holy, which means he is set apart. He is separate. He is distinct. He is other from anything that we know. There's a danger sometimes when, when we try to define or understand God and we say God is like. Because there's a sense in which God is not like anything that, that we know. However, He's made Himself known through creation which is his general revelation that he exists, but he's also made himself known very clearly through his word, which is special revelation, a communication to us so that we can know him as he truly is. And the Bible would over and over again emphasize the fact that God is holy. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, when Isaiah had that vision of God in his temple, and he says, 
the, he heard those creatures that were by, by the Lord and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Even in the book of Revelation, around the throne, there are living creatures that don't cease to say that day and night, over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And it's a declaration of the eternal nature of God and the holy nature of God, which is also eternal. But did you know also that not only is God holy, and the Bible over and over again says that. Psalm 99 verses 3 and verse 5. Isaiah 43 and verse 3 says, The Lord is the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Over and over again it is emphasized so that we understand and realize God is holy. But secondly, did you know that God calls His people to be holy? That means that His people, those who believe Him, those who are trusting Him, those who are following Him, as Christ followers, are to be set apart. That's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart by God, to God, for God. For His purpose and for His glory. We're to be set apart to God, which means when you and I come to faith in Christ, we belong to God because we're in Christ. We're set apart to Him. And holiness means that we're set apart to God. We're separated out of what is common, what is normal, what is the general, to be set apart to God as His very own. But secondly, it has with it the idea that when you are set apart, you are also separated. You're also separated from, from what is common and what is general and what is generic. And separation doesn't mean that you and I all live into a commune and, and shut out the rest of the world. That's not what God is calling us to. God is not calling us to, to sort of pull ourselves in and never interact with anybody, lest I be contaminated, lest I become tainted by the world. That's not the separation God is calling us to. But the separation God is calling us to in His call for us to be holy is a separation from sin and from evil. Let me give you an example of this. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice what Peter says here. Oh, excuse me, Paul says here. And notice how detailed Paul gets with this. Finally, brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to believers. We instructed you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. So it's, it's possible for the believer to live a holy life. And Paul is urging them and urging us to even more. Notice this. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Notice this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should be holy. You struggle with God's will for you and your life? You're probably struggling with the details of oh, what do I do here, what do I do here. The, the, one of the main purposes God has for His people is to be a holy people. That is God's will for you and for me. And notice this. Paul goes on to say what that lo holiness looks like. 
that you should avoid sexual immorality. Would you agree that sexual immorality is a problem in our world today on every level and in every place? You should avoid it. That each of you should learn how to control his own body. Self-control. Yes, I have desires. So do you. But you're to control them. In a way that is holy and honorable. And then he gives the contrast. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. See, again, they're living out of that old nature. They're living in ignorance. They don't understand the truth. They're not pursuing truth. They're not wanting to know the truth. But that's not true of the believing Christian. For the believer. And notice this. He goes on to say that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish all men for such sins as we've already told you and, for, and forewarned you. Verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Separated from, from sin, from evil, from that which corrupts. Now, we can't take ourselves out of this world, but inwardly we can be separated. We could say, no, I am not going to participate in this or that. Now, I'm not going to give you a list of things that you can, shouldn't participate in. The Word of God will inform you. Things that you should avoid, things that you should not do, things that you should stay away from. The Word of God does that. Now notice this. This is, this is, this is important here. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction, now remember, he's writing to believers, does not reject man, but God. And notice this next phrase, who gives you his Holy Spirit. God not only gives us the command to be holy, he gives us the capacity and the ability to be holy. And how does he do it? By the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given every believer in Jesus Christ. So he says here, back to 1 Peter, so be holy in all you do. That means in my life and in your, yours, in every area, arena, avenue, an aspect of life as a believer, I am to reflect God's holy and his moral character. There is no part of my life that is off limits to God. And the same is true for every believer in Jesus Christ. There's not an area of my life that God's word does not speak to in some measure and in some way. And he is saying he wants us to be obedient because when we are obedient to what he commands, we are reflecting God. We are set apart to him. We are separated from that which is sinful. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. Jesus' words again. Matthew chapter 5. And notice this. <laughs> you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. That sounds kind of like a principle that most people live by today. Maybe some of us. You, yeah, you love your neighbor. You love those that, that, are, that are nice to you. But when you got your enemies, ah, you can hate them. 
different political party than your, yours, different view than yours, you can really hate them. That's okay, right? Not according to Jesus. Verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 45, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, that you might reflect Him. And, and what does God do? He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, God shows His mercy and His love broadly, even to those who are rebellious towards Him, even to those who are enemies of His. And He says, verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? The tax collector was probably one of the most despised person in that day. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Now here, here's, the, here's the catch. Here's, the, here's the, 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 the leveling field, especially for everybody who says they live by the Sermon on the Mount. Look at verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anybody want to say you have arrived this morning? Just raise your hand right now. Yeah, don't be shy. Okay. Do you, do you see what God is calling you and me to as followers of Jesus Christ? To be set apart, to be distinct, to be different. Yeah, but we, we, we want to kind of blend in. We want to fit in. We want people to like us. Did they like Jesus, by the way? All he did was display holiness and righteousness and truth and God's way. And what did the world do? Jew and Gentile alike. They crucified him. He said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Why would we in the 21st century think that we are any different? In fact, Paul even said in one of his letters, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That doesn't mean we look for it. You, 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 can, <laughs> you can bring trouble on yourself real fast and say, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. You, by virtue of living a holy life that's set apart to God, is going to irritate people. They're not going to like it. Because why? You're not marching in lockstep with what the world says. Because we're a distinct people. We're a different people. We're a holy people who's been redeemed by Christ. And that doesn't put on our shoulders an arrogance that we say, to hell with the world, I'm saved. No, we're, we're set apart to be distinct so that we, in, in, in essence, can reflect the very character of God to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Peter's going to say later, and we'll get to that in his letter, that not only are our words to reflect Christ, but so are our actions. And see, that's where I, a lot of times, can blow it. Because my actions don't line up with my words or my theology or my Bible knowledge. I fall short. 
But that does not in any way negate the fact that we pursue holiness in our lives. That it's a pursuit of our heart, the pursuit of our soul, the pursuit of our lives. So be holy in all that you do. Now Peter's going to specifically address these things in chapters 2 and 3 when he starts talking about relationships. And I won't have you turn here, but if you want a challenge to see if your life is truly obedient to God, at some point when you have some quiet time, read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32, where Paul gets very specific about how the Christian is to live his and her life in relationship to Christ. Now, lest you or I, or even the original readers, think that Peter is teaching a new legalism, notice what he says in verse 16. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. When he says it is written, he is saying that this is the very word of God. This is the Old Testament that I'm quoting to you. This is what God has revealed in generations past and has always been his truth. This is not something new. I'm not starting a new fad, a new religion, a new set of rules here. I am calling you to the very same thing God called his people in the Old Testament to. And I want to have you turn there real quick to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. And look at me at verse 44. Notice what the Lord is saying to his people. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Now the idea of consecration is that we individually and they individually and collectively set them part, themselves apart to God. That's part of that offering of ourselves to God and saying, Lord, make me holy. Look at verse 45. He says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Did you know that spiritually the, the, the image and the picture of Israel being delivered from the bondage of Egypt is a picture of you being delivered from the bondage of sin? And how did they come out under the blood? When the blood was applied of that Passover lamb, the judgment passed over and then they were brought out of bondage. You've been brought out of bondage. God has set you free from the power of sin. He's given you the capacity with a new nature and the presence of His Spirit to live free from the bondage of sin. And notice what, again, the Lord says here. I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Look at chapter 19 and verse 2 of this same book of Leviticus. I remember in uh, college that we were told that Leviticus, the theme of the book is instruction in holiness. <laughs> That's usually the book that we give up on when we try reading through the Bible, isn't it? Because there's all these rules and laws and sacrifices and feasts and everything else. Those were meant to be uh, pictures and images, by the way, of the finished work of Christ that he would ultimately accomplish. But notice this, what he says here in chapter uh, 19 in verse 2. Here again, the Lord is speaking and he says uh, to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, 
Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, here's an interesting thing. Even in the Old Testament, God showed them how this would be a reality in their midst. Look at chapter 20 and verse 7. Chapter 20 and verse 7. He says, Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Stop there for a moment. Consecrate yourselves. See, there again is that presenting of myself to God, realizing that I cannot live in and of myself, in my own strength, by my own ability, by my own initiatives, by my own trying harder to do what God has said. I just read this morning in Exodus chapter 24 where Moses went up to the mountain to get the commandments of the Lord and he brought them back to the people and he gave them all the commandments. And you know what the people said? All that the Lord has said, we will do. And he commended them for that answer. But you know what? 40 days pass. Moses, what in their minds are delaying coming from the mountain. And what do they do? They make a golden calf and say, forget Moses, let's make our own God. See, when you and I think that we can do it ourselves, that's where we've missed it. We need the presence and the power and the enablement of God through His Holy Spirit in us. Now read verse 18 because this is the clincher. He says, keep my decrees and follow them. Isn't that the call to obedience? A life of obedience, being a child of obedience who's been saved by Christ. And notice what the Lord says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Jehovah Macharish. I am the one who makes you holy. So God says to his people in the Old Testament and even in the New, I am your source of holiness. I am the one who will make you holy if you surrender yourself to me. If you give yourself to me, if you offer yourself to me, I will make you a holy people. But how often do I sort of listen to my old nature and say, I could do it myself? often do you do that? I could figure this out. It's not to say that we don't have brains and reasoning and abilities. But to live a holy life, that's something only God can do in and through you and me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 is a great verse because it says Jesus Christ is our sanctification. He is our holiness. He is the one who makes His people holy. The Christian life of holiness is living out in practice what I am in person, in the person of Jesus Christ. This will require that you and I have that engaged mind that Peter spoke of earlier with a focused hope. And a heart that is surrendered and a will that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit within. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes all the things God gives us in Jesus Christ real to the believer. This morning, does your life reflect Jesus Christ 
in your thoughts, in your motives, in your desires, in your words, and in your actions. One last verse I'll have you turn to. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And look at verse 18. It's a familiar verse, but in light of what we've considered up to this point, I think maybe it will, I trust, bring this truth home to you and to me. Even if it's just a reminder and you already know this. Verse 18, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery. Huh, interesting that he's writing this to believing people again, isn't it? See, because it is possible for us to still fail and sin. But by way of contrast, what are we supposed to do? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Give yourself to the Lord each and every morning when you awake. May one of the first things that you say after thanking the Lord for a restful night and a new day that He's allowed you to see is, Lord, please fill me with Your Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you get more of the Holy Spirit. You already have the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit fills you to overflowing. He's at work in you. You're not going to do anything that's going to resist His work. You're going to want to be in step with the Spirit so that you can live out your new life in Christ to the glory of God and to the praise of Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. And that's a command that's in the present tense which could be translated and understood be being filled. My pastor used to say I need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm a leaky vessel. We can be a leaky vessel. But the more that we realize in and of ourselves we cannot obey even one command of Scripture on our own, we need God. That humbles me and forces me to total dependence upon God. And if we are to live a holy life, God wants us to fully surrender to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this message this morning is certainly a challenge to every one of us who named the name of Jesus. For it is a reminder, Father, that we once again are called to live a holy life. A life that is set apart to you, O God, and separated from that which is corrupt and sinful and evil. I certainly recognize, Father, I thank you that you've saved me in Jesus. I know that I can't be holy in myself. And I thank you, Father, that you have given to me and all believers the person of the Holy Spirit who by giving myself to him continuously 
with dependence, with faith, with saying, Lord, make me holy, that you will do that. So I pray, Father, that those who are here this morning and those who are in the hearing of this message, that they will once again humbly come before you, offer themselves fully to you, and allow Jesus, who is our sanctification, to make us a holy people unto you. So that, Lord, we would not only be able to stand firm in the grace that you've given us, but that we might be able to stand out. So that we might proclaim Christ and show that the gospel is truly transforming and available to all who will come to Christ. Father, thank you for this time together in your word. As we conclude with our final worship, be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.